Okay. Point three. We have seen with our eyes, we have seen the light. So on your worksheet, uh, not only has John heard the words of eternal life from him, who is the word of life, but he had also seen the living word in action. So that would be your word. Uh, John, who wrote the epistle, John, who also wrote the gospel, along with others, witnessed the miracles performed by the hands and the words of Jesus. He saw the healing of the infirmed. He saw the feeding of the multitudes. In fact, he was was a part of that, wasn't he? The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He saw Jesus as he walked upon the sea. He saw Jesus in the raising of the dead. I think there were three recorded raisings of the dead in the Gospels. Time and time again, John and other witnesses had seen these works of the Son of God, so they saw the living Word of God in action. So on your worksheet, John in his Gospel records seven miracles that the Lord had performed prior to his resurrection. This is before his resurrection, seven miracles. And there was an eighth miracle that was produced after his resurrection with the draft of fishes when Peter and the others went fishing eight being the biblical number of new beginnings signifying that this was their new occupation in life Uh, that is to fish for the souls of men for the kingdom of God so I have a little graph there about the seven miracles of John in his gospel I've got two columns miracle performed and the spiritual significance is that correct? yes sir okay So the first miracle is water into into wine and the spiritual significance is newness of life. Newness of life, the old replaced by the new. The nobleman's sons healed that blessing conditioned on faith. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and his son was healed. The impotent man's strength given to walk. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. We have the multitudes fed. Sustenance is the word provided for the new life. This is where Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Strength. Walking on the sea. Assurance in his presence. It is I, be not afraid. Man born blind is enlightenment given. Whereas I was blind, now I see. And then Lazarus raised victory over death. I am the resurrection and the life. In all of these miracles, you can apply that to your walk with the Lord. That's another lesson. That's another lesson. But one of the major miracles that John records in his gospel is this account of the man born blind in John chapter 9. So if you will, please turn to John's gospel, chapter 9. And it's in this this chapter in John's gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed that I am the light of the world. And so this the miracle of this man being born blind, according to John's Gospel, this was quite a cage rattler for the Pharisees. This was quite a quite a quite an event. And uh, the Pharisees they interrogated the man and they interrogated his parents about this miracle. 
But even though they interrogated the man and even though they interrogated his parents, they still refused to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So here, look at John 9, verses 20, starting in verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Now who are they talking about? Jesus Christ. They're calling Jesus Christ a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. (coughs) Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Verse 28, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Verse 30, The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. That's the attitude of the modern Gnostic. That's the attitude of the modern Gnostic. It's no different today. The modern Gnostic will tell you that you are the one blinded due to your ignorance. What is this ignorance? This ignorance is because you believe the Bible is true. You're ignorant because you do that. You're ignorant because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God come down in the flesh. You're ignorant because you believe that. You're unenlightened. You're unenlightened. Therefore, you are unredeemable in their eyes. And you must either come in line according to their groupthink or be canceled. Now, don't tell me that's not going on today because it is going on today. It's going on today. The significance of this miracle, I believe, is what Jesus said to the Pharisees here in verse 39. Look at verse 39 in John chapter 9. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. What was the sin that remained with these men? The sin was the same sin that condemns men today. It was the sin of unbelief. It's not breaking the law. It's unbelief. It's not believing that Jesus Christ was sent by God to save the world. That's what condemns a man. That's what condemns a man. It's a sin of unbelief. It's this this sin of unbelief that keeps men from salvation. And listen to me, folks. It is also sin that keeps us from fellowshipping with God. Let that sink in. 
It is also sin that keeps us from fellowshipping with God. Again, John's epistle is not about one's salvation. It's about one's fellowship. John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We lie and do not the truth. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those are very strong words that we take very lightly. That we take very lightly. Now I'm going to say something that I know will offend uh, some of you, if not all of you. It won't be the first time and it won't be the last time. You know, we Christians today, we, we react against this current cancel culture, don't we? Cancel culture is never good, whether it's religious or political or social. Cancel culture is, is never good. In fact, it was a form of cancel culture that resulted in uh, millions of Jews dying in World War II and even countless millions dying afterwards. There was a form of cancel culture going on in the communist nations and there's still a cancel culture going on in many Islamic nations. And guess what? There's a cancel culture going on in our own nation today. (coughs) Cancel culture solves nothing. It only results in, in, in divisiveness. Uh, It's an open-mouth, closed-ear approach to problems. It really is. Uh, 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, there's a biblical principle. I know you all know it. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap, right? Okay, here's why I'm going to get offensive. Christians today react to the current cancel culture and condemn it and scream foul. But I'm old enough to remember a Christian form of cancel culture. Uh, back in the day that ran through the church is back beginning, I think, in the 1970s up into the 2000s. I can remember churches becoming more and more politicized. Christian boycotts being proclaimed by televangelists and Christian leaders on certain businesses and programming that they deemed unworthy or offensive. I can remember powerful religious movements that were created that were more political in nature, trying to save a nation through getting out the vote rather than preaching the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. They hijacked the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ was hijacked from winning souls to getting out the vote. Because they honestly believed and they purported that that's how you change the nation. How many times have we heard our own pastor say, we can't change the nation unless we change the hearts? Somehow we got off target. I can remember seeing on the news where Christian groups in colleges and schools publicly burned books that they found offensive. Well, somebody will say, well, well, Jeff, they burned books in the Bible. Yeah, they did. 
Acts 19.18-20 And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mighty grew the word of God and prevailed. It wasn't the moral majority that burned the books, folks. It was people who had repented of their sin that burned those books. Unless the heart has changed, you can burn all the books you want and it's not going to do you any good. Not going to do you any good. Sadly, there's still a majority in the church that's more concerned about reforming a city built on a swamp in Maryland than being that city on a hill and being a light to the world that we should be. What was deemed at one time the doctrine of the faith was somehow changed into Christian values and now it's even relegated to a more tolerable generic family values. We don't want to be offensive now, do we? We will permit the modern Gnostic to take from our hands the sword of the Lord and leave us defenseless in the field of lentils. But by golly, the only way they're going to get my gun is if they pry it from my cold, dead hands. That's the attitude of many Christians today. Instead of preaching Jesus as Savior... Okay, here's where I'm going to step on some toes. Instead of preaching Jesus as Savior, we now preach a certain billionaire from Florida, and I've heard this used of him as the coming Messiah. Our nation's hope is now dependent upon some orange guy. You see, there are more Gospels than the prosperity Gospel being preached today. It fits in line with the spirit of error's scheme to distract us and steal away from us the fellowship that is ours with the Father and the Son. The spirit of error will get us fixated on anything else, no matter how noble or how right or how patriotic it might sound, as long as he can keep us from being focused on what we should be focused on. And that's God's glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did I step on anybody's toes? It's a fine line to walk, though. It is a very fine line to walk. Maybe I'm looking at more as a parent than as a... It's a. It is. Stores that I've, you know, at times boycotted because I didn't like the things that they were in the stores at the same time. You get tired of buying things at the other store and you go to that store and... and, and it is a fine line. But, well, you know, you've always had to deal with the world, so you're going to deal with the world no matter where you go. Yep. And, you know, and the books that you're talking about book boarding, you know, like, there's books... I don't really like most of the books in the library yep. for my kids. Yep. <laughs> They're all witches and sorcery and yep. that I really want them to get. And therefore, as, as a parent, you need to warn your kids. Yeah, and we do. And you can burn as many books as you want, but I guarantee you, the making of books, there is no end. Yeah. So John wrote that we have seen with our eyes, we have seen the light. You know, John was one of the three who um, 
the Lord called to ascend with him up to that mount when he unveiled his glory before these men. In Luke 9.28 he says, And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And I love that word glistering that Luke uses. Because that's like a, that's like a lightning flash. But a lightning flash goes away. The glory remained. That lightning flash remained. Because Jesus Christ is indeed that light. John saw the glistering glory of the Lord on the mount. And this is what he's saying. He says, I was an eyewitness of this light. I was an eyewitness of this light. Don't fall for the seducers and their light, is what he's saying. I saw that light. And we can have fellowship with that light. I guess what I'm saying is, beloved, don't allow what's going on around us within the churches and outside of the churches to cloud the majesty that Jesus Christ is. Don't become distracted. Don't become anxious. Don't become fretful. You know, people who fret are people who have no hope. People who are anxious are people who... You know, they have no hope for their future. They have no hope for anything. We're not that kind. We're not that people. We're not that people. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.19, he says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Is your creator faithful? Always. But do we always believe that? Now be honest. If the Creator is faithful, then you know what else is faithful? This right here. This right here. And if you want to not, then it can't Yeah, so why even bother showing up here? Honestly. You know, Peter and John both witnessed Jesus' acts of compassion to the needy, and they also witnessed Jesus' courage as they stood up to hypocrisy. We should have acts of compassion to the needy, tell them the truth, do the good deeds like Paul wrote to Titus, but at the same time we stand up against the hypocrisy. But we don't stand up against the hypocrisy by burning books. We tell the truth. We give them the gospel. It was John who witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. It was John who witnessed Jesus being placed in the tomb. And it was John who witnessed the resurrected Christ. He witnessed the eternal life of God in Jesus Christ. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. 1 John 1, 2. He says these things, he writes these things for you and me to be assured. To be assured. John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you know that light of life? If you know that light of life, you've got that light. That light dwells in you. We have the light right here in written form as well. John, on your worksheet, John writes to us, to us to assure us that though we may have been blind prior to our salvation, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, yet now that we are the children of light, we can have, the word is confidence, in that light that is the light of life. Now honestly, folks, think about it. Is there a lot of confidence in this world today? There isn't. I was talking to my wife on the way down to the down to church this morning. I don't know how many realize this, but right now there is a vacuum in leadership in this world. The United States was a was a country that all the world looked to at one time for leadership. I'm sorry folks, the leader that we've got now there's no confidence in him. And we've got two men who are trying to fill that vacuum and it's interesting that both of these nations are talked about in in scriptures and prophecy according to the last days, Russia and China there's no confidence in this world there's a vacuum of leadership in this world and if you don't know the light folks Jim wants to say hard times make Good men, good men make weak times. So what John is saying, what Jesus is saying, what I'm saying is, is you put your confidence in the light. You don't put your confidence in the darkness. And there's a lot of darkness. He goes on, he says, We have seen, we have looked upon. That means to be discerning. Now, I know this is kind of messed up in your worksheet a little bit. I noticed that uh, a while back, but uh, hopefully you can figure it out. The word looked upon, I put there Strong's number 2300, so if you're a Strong's person, you can look it up. This means to view attentively is your blank view attentively I think it's near where the guy is looking through the magnifying lens yeah view attentively uh, to contemplate about what, about one is observing the other blank to assimilate mentally assimilate mentally in order to comprehend the meaning and import of what you are witnessing. See, that is one of the faults of this church age, is that we are not a discerning church. I don't know if any of you knew this or not, but the Pope and some of the major religious leaders of the world were at Mount Sinai putting together a new Ten Commandments. A new Ten Commandments. Guys, I'm telling you, it's close. 
John 1.14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it says, And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word beheld is the same word that John uses here and looked upon. John and the, and the boys, the apostles, they examined Jesus. They watched Jesus. They watched Jesus. John said in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, when I read that, I wondered, I wonder how much John understood what Jesus was talking about. About this abundant life. At first, I would think that John really didn't know exactly what he was talking about. Uh, Perhaps he may have misunderstood, because they always misunderstood what Jesus said. But I'm thinking that as John witnessed the Lord's life, as he contemplated what it was that he was witnessing and what he was hearing, as he watched Jesus walk and behave and and uh, I believe that the Spirit of God began to illuminate John's mind and fill his heart. And I believe this understanding grew in knowing um, Christ. And I believe that along with this understanding, not only did his understanding grow and his comprehension grow, but something else grew. And that was his love. That was his love for the Lord. Now here's a watch out. You Bible students. Yeah, it's great to know things about the Bible. But if your love does not grow along with that knowledge, what good does that knowledge do you? It puffs you up and makes you prideful. So be careful. Be careful. 1 John 4.19 says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. So on your worksheet, the purpose of this first epistle of John is that we would look upon these assurances that John writes about concerning our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And I know this is also messed up on your worksheet. Not so much to examine what John writes, for this is the error made by many, but let what John writes examine us. Is your blank. I know that's messed up on your worksheet, but that's the blank. See, so many of God's people will sit here and they'll analyze and they'll dissect and they'll take this Bible apart piece by piece. And what they end up with is a lot of pieces scattered around. No, the intention of study is to fall in love with God. The intention of study is to fall in love with God. To have fellowship with God. If you're messing out on that fellowship when you're studying the Word of God, then I'm going to be very bold and say you're studying it wrong. You're studying it wrong. 
1 John 2, 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. What is God's will for each and every one of us? That we be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So walking around like some fat-headed know-it-all, is that being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? No, it's not. If you're walking around critical of your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not being conformed in the image of Christ. The truth, the word of life, those things hereby we know and being taught by the unction from the Holy One, all are they the, the question is, are these being are the are these evident in your life? Can people see the word of God living in and through you? This is John's concern for the beloved. He doesn't want them to be deceived. There has to be a reality. A reality of this truth at work in your life. 1 John 3.10, he says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. This is why John warns these believers, and us as well, to try the spirits. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. It goes way beyond head knowledge, folks. On your worksheet... What was true in John's day is sevenfold more so in our own day. For we live in the Laodicean church age, an age that has proven to be undiscerning, has failed to keep the word, and has opened her doors to everything and everyone except the Lord. Undiscerning keep opened her doors. Did you get all that? Yes. We live in an age that has proven to be undiscerning. Has failed to keep the word. And has opened her doors to everything and everyone except the Lord. Yes, ma'am. The purpose of this epistle? Do you attentively and insist to contemplate about what one is observing? Oh, assimilate mentally. Do you guys like these worksheets? Yeah. Okay, I'm not a big fan of them, as you can tell. Okay. 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 Is that in a good way or a bad way? Okay. All right. So our hands have handled. First John one one through two, he says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life is manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Our hands have handled. 
Can you think of an incident in the Gospels where they handled the body of Jesus? The one that comes to my mind is where Thomas, doubting, doubting Thomas, he, he, when he wasn't with them and Jesus showed up, he said, except I see in, shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. There are a lot of folks that are that way. A lot of folks that are that way. They have to see in order to believe. A lot of Christians are that way. They have to see before they believe. Don't be that kind of Christian. Oh yeah, if you what makes a Christian? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So But that's an issue of lordship. Right? That's an issue of to me that's an issue of lordship. Not so much of salvation. So eight days later, Thomas uh, has this opportunity to do this very thing. So if you're still in John 9, uh, wherever it was, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and uh, verse 26. And it says here, And after eight days, again, his disciples were with him and Thomas with them. Okay, so now he's there. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. <laughs> he puts the finger on Thomas. Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And then what does he say there? And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Then he says this, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know what, beloved? That's us. That's us. That's us. I've never seen Jesus. I've never heard Jesus. And I'm really suspect of those who claim that they have seen Jesus and heard Jesus. I really am. Do you think Thomas was so bold that he really? He it doesn't mention that he did. Yeah, I don't think he. I, yeah, I don't think he did. Yeah. Although why would why would Jesus say do that? Why would Jesus say to do that? Well, it, it leaves it open ended, doesn't it? Would you, Ron? Would, would you would you would you have to do that in order to believe? There he is standing before you with the gaping wound in his side and the no. Yeah, well there you go. First Peter one eight says, Whom having not seen ye love. In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving in the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, Kim. Even the salvation of your souls. When John wrote in the beginning here in this epistle, First uh, John, John was not presenting the person of Jesus to his readers. That was the theme of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. On your worksheet, 
In John's Gospel, he affirms the deity of Christ as being eternal and equal with the Father, that he was the light of the world and eternal life, so that word is affirm. In his epistle, what John is presenting to us, presenting in his testimony of the abundant life, Abundant life, a new kind of life now made available to you and I. And that this new kind of life can be experienced by fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in the Gospel, He affirms the deity of Christ. In the Epistle, He's talking about the abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. And how we can enjoy this fellowship with Him. This new life was manifested to us by the Son and is now ours because we believe on Him. And what is even neat or neater or neato, I don't know what you want to call it, but we have an anointing. We have an anointing. That's what He says here. Uh, in First uh, John two twenty, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. Is that the same as yeah, yeah, because later on he uses the same word, but it's anointing. Now, who is this unction? Holy the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's key. That, that word always worries me, but just having been around Pentecost. Yes. Stuff a lot. Yes. See, that's where they're defining for you what they want you to think that that word is. And that's what the Gnostics will do. That's what they'll do. So on your worksheet, uh, first of all, let me read this verse. First John 1 2, for the life was manifested. And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So there we have an eyewitness account. So on your worksheet, the idea expressed by the word manifested corresponds slash corroborates I have trouble with some of these words. Corresponds slash corroborates with what John wrote in his gospel, the Word was made flesh. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And here's an amazing thing. The eternal Word that was with God and is God was made flesh and dwelt among his creation. Now, if that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know what will. That's a pretty amazing fact. Pretty amazing fact. So on your worksheet, there is further truth being revealed here in John's epistle where the word was made flesh marks an historic event. (laughs) It actually happened in spite of what the people tell you that it didn't happen. When the Word took upon Himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, Philippians 2.7. The life manifested unto us implies the unfolding and displaying of Jesus Christ's life displayed before men as Emmanuel with us. 
There are folks out there today that are denying that this ever happened. Those are the many, those are the many antichrists that deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Even preachers from the pulpits deny this. Even preachers from the pulpit have denied this. Yeah. Okay, so now um, some have taken what John wrote in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, and they try to connect it with John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yeah, I get it. You can make that application. Uh, You can do that. Um, But I believe what John is talking about here in the epistle is not so much eternity past, but rather what he is talking about is um, the gospel being preached. Because that's what it's all about. It's about the message. And the message being obscured, the message being twisted and perverted. This, I believe, is the same thing that Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 27, when he says, And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So I think as far as the epistle is concerned, when John is talking about that which we have, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, then down to verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. I believe that's what he's talking about. I believe he's talking about the gospel that these people have heard. Not so much eternity past. He's talking about the message. He's talking about the message. He mentions fellowship. Yeah, he mentions fellowship. So it's not so much something that happened in eternity past. He's talking about here and now. And that's the importance of this epistle is the here and now. Fellowshipping with God here and now. In fact, he says, he says here in 1 John 2.13, he says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 14, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. That word known speaks of an intimate knowledge. Um, in fact, on your worksheet, this word known also speaks of an intimacy. It's used to describe the intimacy of a physical contact between a married couple. So I would offer the possibility that these fathers knew Jesus personally. Personally. That's why I believe when John says that which from the beginning, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the message. There's two blanks before that? What John and the others had witnessed and now testify about is from that point when the Lord was baptized by John in the Jordan River. That's what I'm looking for. That's why I was lost. To when they witnessed his ascension back into glory. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about as far as in the beginning. 
In yeah, in his gospel. Or in his epistle. Yep. Thank you for pointing that out, Kim. That's I, I'm, no, I'm sitting here looking through my looking through my uh, notes and at the same time thinking about your worksheets. That's why I'm not a fan of the worksheets. It, it disrupts my thinking. But that doesn't take much to disrupt my thinking. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the beginning of the gospel. Now, on your worksheet. <laughs> In his epistle, John declares three things about the life that was manifested. Three things is your blank. One, the life is that eternal life. Jesus Christ is that life, a quality of life that transcends time. That eternal life that cannot be measured by time or become affected by time. Measured or affected? Revelations 1.8 I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. I, I uh, was watching a uh, video and this guy was teaching that Jesus Christ never proclaimed himself to be God. I don't know what Bible he's reading. But Revelations 1.8 is pretty clear pretty clear so on your worksheet this life that is that eternal life assures us of an everlasting covenant of grace covenant of grace Hebrews 8.6 an everlasting high priest Ephesians 5.5-6 who is our mediator 1 Timothy 2.5 intercessor advocate and representative in heaven Hebrews 10 19-21 an everlasting salvation John 10 27-30 and the guarantee of everlasting life John 11 25-26 so that's covenant of grace mediator advocate everlasting life that's a lot and that's not all Okay. So everybody got that? Okay. Number two. That eternal life that was with the Father. This speaks of an intimacy of relationship with the Father unknown to any other. Nobody ever existed that had a relationship like the Son with the Father. Between the Son and the Father, there is a perfect communion of thought, emotion, volition. Now you've got a little chart. Seven, 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 seven equal attributes of the Father and the Son. That's the Greek, seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So first one is equality in works. Second one, equality in knowledge. Third one, equality in resurrection power. The fourth one, equality in judgment. 
Resurrection power. <laughs> Judgments. <laughs> it's okay if it helps. I just need to slow down. Equality and honor. I gotta stop looking at the clock. It's just not gonna happen. Honor. Equality and bestowing life. And then finally, equality in existence. Now, I provided you the verse in John's Gospel, and I also provided you with cross-references throughout the Old and New Testament. So if, you, if that's something you want to study out for yourself, I gave you some, uh, some starting there. John 14, 23 through 26, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. John 14:26 But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now I've read this passage for, for this reason. There's a lot of folks that have heartburn over the Trinity. But yet right here in this passage, very clearly, Jesus speaks of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now I'm going to read you something about from one of my favorite authors about the Godhead. I wish I could claim this, but I'm not that sharp. But this is what he says. The persons of the Godhead never work separately. And we are to never think of them in such a way as to divide the substance of the Godhead. Every act of God is agreed upon and done by all three persons of the Godhead. God is never anywhere present in one person without the other person present as well. God cannot divide himself. Where the Spirit is, the Father is, and where the Son is, the Father and the Spirit are there as well. For the accomplishment of some specific work, one person may be may for a time be more prominent than the others, yet all are in that work. The prominent person that is accomplishing the work is never alone in that work, for all three are in the work. God is altogether present wherever he is present at all. And that was written by A.W. Tozier in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. One of the best books I've ever written. Read. One of the best books I ever read. Thank you, Kim. It's an amazing to, to think of, of things like that. And for someone to deny the Godhead is just, they're not reading their Bible. Why? Why do they do that? Because they, they cannot put together the concept of the Trinity. But yet the Bible is very clear. I mean, have you ever meditated on the Trinity? It's, it's a tough meditation. You, that's where you believe what is written and accept it by faith. 
2 Corinthians 13, 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. There it is. 1 John 5, 7. The Gnostics want to take this out of 1 John. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Yet there is evidence that dates all the way back to the early, early 2nd century that this was part of the text. But they don't want that there. But we're getting off track here. We're getting off track. It took the Trinity to save us. And it's the Trinity that keeps us. And I don't even like using the word Trinity. I'm going to say Godhead. It's the Godhead that saves us. It's the Godhead that keeps us. Number three on your worksheet. That eternal life seen in witness. Eternal life is your blank. That eternal life. This life, the life that was the light of men. John 1.4, John is testifying to the recipients of this epistle that he was the eyewitness of this life. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, our hands have handled. So I'm going to end with these, uh, these final entrances. All of these are declarations. At your blank of a first-hand experience of someone who has been in the very presence of the word of life. To assure those who have heard the message that they can believe that message we have an eyewitness account and then the last blank is when John mentions in our hands of handle there is an implication of appropriating or making something someone's own to take personal possession of and that what Jesus had taught and how Jesus had lived we are to make our own. In other words, what John says in 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. And that really is the point of the whole epistle of John, of 1 John, is that we take the truth that he is and we appropriate, appropriate it to ourselves. The light that he is, we are to walk in that light. He's a righteous God, therefore we are to appropriate that righteousness into our life. He is a God of love, therefore we are to own that same love for others. That's what he means by appropriating. That's why he says, if you say you walk in the light and yet walk in darkness, you do not the truth. Are we doing the truth? Are we walking the truth? Are we appropriating that truth into our life? That's what John is trying to get across. We especially need to do it in this dark time. You know why? Because people need to see that light. They need to see that reality. And if we're not appropriating it, then they're not going to see it. Eternal life does not begin for us until we believe on, upon him who is that eternal life. And it is this eternal life that we are to share with others. So that they also can appropriate this light in their life. And I'm going to have to stop right there. How many blanks do I have left? Not many? Okay. All right.
So any questions or comments? Okay. I do appreciate the